This is the Sibling Library Podcast. You will know when to start listening when you hear the chimes ring like this. Let's begin now. Welcome listeners to Sibling Library. This is a a podcast where we celebrate reading and literacy and family and uh, just get to explore some stories that we we know we love and we get to explore some stories that we haven't read yet. We are Katie, Julia, and Megan, and we are sisters who all love reading and all love talking to each other. So we're with most days. Yes, that is that is a good qualifying statement to that. As most sisters feel about each other, I would I would say that's pretty universal. Yeah, yeah. All right, so we have a good discussion ahead of us today. We are going to do a roundup, and then after that, we're going to get into a conversation that we teased a little bit in our episode last month, um, where we're going to go into a discussion about the story Slaughterhouse-Five, experienced in three different formats. Let's start off with the with the opener, so our little roundup, we thought it would be a good idea to discuss some of our our favorite podcasts that we listen to that um, are related to literature or reading books, things like that. Um, all three of us enjoy listening to lots of podcasts, and obviously many of those are what inspired us to start this show. So with that, um, who would like to start? Do you want to go around the horn, give one at a time? Um, that's kind of how we typically do things here. So why don't we do that? Go for it, Meg. Contrary to what Katie said, I actually don't love listening to podcasts. Um, sorry, I made an assumption there. That's okay. I mean, (laughs) you, you would assume since I enjoy being part of a podcast that I would also enjoy listening to podcasts. So my favorite literary podcast to listen to is actually ours. Um, because nice. I've listened to every episode. <laughs> I think it helps that it's once a month. Yes, yeah. that definitely helps too. Um, but aside from ours, I also enjoy Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. That's probably the only other podcast that I listen to that really falls into a literary podcast like genre. But what they do is... Uh, they they're going through chapter by chapter reading Harry Potter and for each chapter they pick a different theme that they or lens I guess that they read the chapter through and they discuss it and then they do some type of sacred uh, discussion practice Um, and it sounds religious but it's really not religious at all so this is good for anybody who loves Harry Potter or talking about books in general Um, and I think, Katie, you've listened to more of it than I have now at this point. Are they in book seven yet? They just finished book seven. Oh, wow. Nice. Julia? My latest find is called Phoebe Reads a Mystery. And it is hosted by Phoebe Judge. And in each episode, she reads a chapter from a different classic book. Um, and she's got, I think, 12 seasons worth of the show. Um, and it's just she just reads a book from beginning to end. Like there's no discussion or anything. It's just basically an audio book of like um, classic books. Like I listened to Jane Eyre, which I'd never read before. I think I tried to read the book myself and just couldn't get into it. So. For some reason, I find it more palatable to listen to books that I can't just 
sit down and read myself. Yeah, but she's read a bunch of different books. Um, she's done some Sherlock Holmes books and some other books that I've never heard of. So I'm intrigued by the other books that she's chosen. And I'm assuming all of these books that she is choosing are like books you could find on um, Kindle for free. Yeah. What do they call this? Is it the... When they're old enough that they're no longer under copyright. I know there's a term for the it. Like Guten, public, is it the Guten, public domain or oh, maybe public domain. But yeah, they are out of copyright. So she won't get in trouble for sharing the works. Yeah, I agree with you, Julia, on some of those types of books that it, it can be easier to listen to. And I think it's because the the language is not, we're not used to reading sentence structure in that way and the type of language that's used. But if there's someone who's really trained in, you know, where to put the inflection and has a nice accent to listen to, it can make it it can make it easier to follow. At least for me, I'm I'm very much an an audio learner and experience things a lot easier that way in in terms of retaining the information and and understanding it. It's Project Gutenberg. Yeah, it's just finding that. But yeah, it's like books like that that you can find. For free, um, also called public domain. So yes, mm-hmm. we were all correct. Woohoo! Nice. Nailed it. <laughs> all right, Kate. What's your okay. first one? So my first one that I'm going to talk about is talking comics. We've talked a few times on this show about graphic novels and comic books, and included that in our conversation. And it's it's one that. I started listening to when I started reading comic books, which I started doing a little bit later in life than some people first experienced them. Um, I I started reading them as an adult and um, listening to this podcast has really helped inform some of my decisions around what I wanted to pick up. Um, One of the things I really love about this show is the, um, the encouragement of inclusivity and diversity that they talk about. And, a lot of the um, the books that they recommend and highlight are, you know, written by more independent type labels and, um, you know, coming from stories coming from all types of different voices. And they, they really, um, you know, lift up that concept of, you know, not just always the, the story, including the same type of people or the same type of hero um, or even the same type of story, they 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 are very good about uh, promoting that that awareness and and lifting up those types of creators. So I really enjoy listening to it, and they have such a great camaraderie. The the all of the hosts, um, so they're fun to listen to. And uh, I've gotten some some great recommendations by listening to that podcast. So I recommend it to anyone who's interested in getting into into comic books. Or just enjoys listening to a bunch of people that get along and are entertaining. Okay. Um, so the next one that I want to suggest is LeVar Burton Reads. I mean, especially for kids from the 90s. Um, That's all you who, need to say. Yeah, who didn't love reading Rainbow? And so this um, podcast is kind of sort of like an adult reading Rainbow. Um, he picks really interesting short stories to read and he gets the uh, permission by the author to read them and he like just performs it and his voice is like butter and it's just it's 
it's lovely. So I highly recommend LeVar. That's L-E-V-A-R Burton Reads. I think you'd like it, Kate. Yeah, I should add it into the rotation. All right. So the last one that I wanted to talk about is um, from Extraneous, and it's the His Dark Materials uh, component of that suite of podcasts. I don't know how to put that exactly. It's like a whole collection of um, they fall under Mischief Media, um, which sounds very much like uh, Harry Potter. And that's kind of where it started. So one of the hosts on this show is Melissa Anelli, and she um, came over from the Pottercast podcast, which I also still listen to. They're they're still putting episodes out as well. So I'm kind of lumping these two together. Um, the His Dark Materials podcast has been really fun for me to listen to because that's another uh, set of stories that or a, a trilogy of novels uh, by Philip Pullman that came out at actually the same time as the the Harry Potter books. It just didn't get as much notoriety because of Harry Potter, but it's it's a beautiful story and really well written. And there's so much to uh, to analyze about it. So what I really like about this podcast is it goes takes a deep dive into the stories and they break it down a couple chapters at a time. They're in the third book now, The Amber Spyglass, and they've taken a break after reading each set of the books. So there's there's three in total. They they went through the first book. And then um, the show focused on the HBO series, His Dark Materials, that came out um, as weekly as those episodes dropped. They would, um, you know, have a have an episode the day after where they talked about, you know, comparing it to the book and what they liked about it, what they didn't. Um, and then in between, they they read the second book and then again took a break to go through the second season. And now they're finishing up the third book. And there's some additional books that have come out. I think there's at least one, it's called the book of dust that they'll do after the last season of this, which I think is more of a a prequel type novel. Um, But I, I really enjoy hearing their insight. They have some really fun segments that they put together on it. And uh, when I say they, I don't think I explained this. It's Melissa Anelli and her fiance will, I don't remember his last name. I don't know if they say it all the time, but I'm just more familiar with her because I listened to her on Pottercast. Um, but their the format of their show is is really fun for me because I I love hearing other people's insights and experiences of stories and and it just makes me see it in a different perspective. So I think it's really fun to listen to that kind of a podcast and do a read along with them. Um, so where can people find that podcast? So they can find that podcast by looking up Mischief Media and it's called Extraneous and there's a couple there's at least one other version of Extraneous that follows the show Supernatural and this is the His Dark Materials version of Extraneous. Nice. Highly recommend. All right, Julia, I think you had one other that you wanted to discuss. I do have one more and this one I highly recommend it for anybody, but it's especially good for children. And it is called Julie's Library. Can anybody guess who Julie is? I already know the answer, so it wouldn't be a guess. Katie, have you heard of this one? I have not. Any idea who Julie might be? Andrews? Mm Mm-hmm. Ooh, Yeah, so Julie Andrews and her daughter, Emma Walton. Anybody that doesn't know, Julie Andrews 
has had a amazing career, but she is probably best known for being Mary Poppins in the Disney movie. Um, so she and her daughter read children's picture books. Sometimes the author of the book comes on and reads the book themselves. Um, and then Julie and Emma kind of suggest, um, it's really cute. They have a little segment that a bunch of different kids from around the world, uh, will record themselves saying like what their favorite word is. And that segment is called wonderful, wonderful words. And it's really cute. So there's like kids that get to participate and the authors of these books or the illustrators of these books get to come on and talk about their work and, um, so it's just promoting literacy, and it's it's fantastic. It's called Julie's Library. Okay, so now we're going to get into the main discussion of our episode uh, this time. And what we talked about last month was that we wanted to do an exercise of all reading a story that we'd never read before and reading it in or experiencing it in three different formats to see how that informed the story for each of us and whether it caused us to prefer a certain format over another. So um, to talk about what that is a little bit, the the book that we decided to do this with was Slaughterhouse-Five. None of the three of us had read it before and there exists a, uh, a novel format, which is the original content, um, a movie, and more, most recently a graphic novel. So each of us read it in three different in a different sequence. Um, and I think first let's go around and talk about um, kind of our general impressions of the story. Um, it's a story that was written by Kurt Vonnegut, who's a postmodern, postmodernist author. And he was born in 1922 and died in 2007. Uh, the genre that his writing typically falls into is satire, gallows humor, and science fiction. And We'll get into how all of those genres actually apply to this story because they're, I would very much say those are accurate. Um, and just to give a little background on him, um, he enlisted in the army in 1943 um, for World War II. Um, he was a pacifist, but he wanted to avoid being drafted. So he just went out and enlisted to avoid that from happening. So he had a little bit more control over, you know, where he wound up, I, I would assume. I'm speculating a little bit there, um, but he did. Um, he was he was deployed three months later, and he fought in the Battle of the Bulge, and he was captured along with 50 other American soldiers, and was sent to Dresden, where he lived in a slaughterhouse and worked in a factory that made malt syrup for pregnant women. This storyline is very similar to the storyline of Slaughterhouse Five, mm -hmm. so um, you can tell that. Although we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, whether this blurs the lines of, of fiction or not. But um, this by talking about him, it's also serving the purpose of giving a bit of a synopsis of the story itself. Um, Dresden was a place that was not expected to be bombed, but it was on February 13th, 1945. And it was bombed for two days and killed 25,000 citizens in the process. So... Uh, Kurt Vonnegut was in Dresden when this happened and was, um, was, he survived with other American prisoners of war, um, through that attack. They were, um, down in a meat locker that was three stories underground 
And then once they uh, came up out of that meat locker, when the, the bombing stopped, they got put to work excavating all the bodies. So if you thought you were in for a light, airy episode, alas. You're not. <laughs> so, um, but he was, he, he, he did um, get evacuated and he returned to the U.S. in May of 1945 and he was awarded the Purple Heart. So anyone who's read this story will know that a lot of these experiences are put into this book. The the additional components that are added into it are um, some of the responses that the main character has in as a result of going through these experiences. Um, and the reader can make up their own mind about what what type of commentary is being made by Kurt Vonnegut. Um, the main character of the story is a man called Billy Pilgrim, and he winds up you experience his his timeline not in a linear format because he jumps back and forth in time throughout the story. Um, and he attributes this to uh, being in I don't know if the word would be enlightened, but he has an ex- he has an experience with some extraterrestrials who uh, take him and put him into kind of an observ an observatory, like almost a cage, like a tank, like he's kind of a zoo creature to them. and they observe him and ask him questions. and um you know, he he kind of, trips back and forth between being on this this alien planet and back on Earth and experiencing different parts of his life kind of out of sequence. Yeah, he is unstuck in time. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So um, now that we've kind of given a little bit of a, a background of the story, what were some of the, before we go into like which one, which formats were our favorites and which didn't we like as much, what were your general impressions of the story itself, regardless of the format that you experienced in? I think I texted you guys because I started my read through and watch through before you guys did. Um, and I think I texted you guys not long after I started um, and said, if I had realized that this was a World War II story, I might have not wanted to commit to consuming this story in three different ways in succession. Um, Because World War II stories are always, regardless of how they're intended to be written, you can't have a World War II story without it being grimy and yucky, Um, both emotionally, physically, mentally. It's just not possible. Um, I think overall... This story was a unique World War II story in that it is not a linear timeline. Um, and there were some really awesome vignettes that I'll talk about later that I enjoyed. And there were also some parts that I really could have done without. But overall, like I'm glad that I have read this story. Um, I don't plan to read it again. And I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Fair enough. How about you, Julia? Yeah, I had no idea what this book was going into it. Um, And I started with the novel version of it. And it felt like I was reading something for school. So with that said, it probably would never have been something that I elected to pick up if Katie hadn't suggested it. (laughs) Um, And just in each of the different 
formats, it it's not an easy it's not an easily digestible story because there is no path. Like you said, it it jumps around and it's there's different characters in each of the different times of his life that so it was just kind of difficult for me to connect with. I don't know if we're talking about this yet, but I'll say it I probably had the easiest time with the novel because I got into kind of a groove with it once I finally was like, okay, I get that he's time traveling in his own life. I kind of accepted it and was like, okay, I'm just, just going to go with it now. <laughs> um, so I think that kind of helped me with the other two formats. You said you think the novel helped you with the other two formats? Yeah. Interesting. But it's okay. interesting, too. Like, I didn't really get any of the humor reading the novel. Like, yeah. I don't know if that it's, makes sense. Yeah, yeah it does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it does, too. And I, I think just after hearing your general impressions, I think I, it seems like I probably enjoyed it more than the two of you did. Um, and we'll talk about like the sequencing of how we experienced the content and maybe that's what, what lended to it. But overall, I really, I found it, I found the structure of the story interesting. Um, and we've talked a little bit already about the, the time travel and we've talked about that in, in other episodes as well. And the thing that I really liked about how time travel, if that's what you want to call it in this story was used was I interpreted it as a coping mechanism for some sort of PTSD. I kind um, of after, felt the same. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which I thought was a really powerful and interesting way to tell a story because you, you're kind of experiencing this man's life the way that he's experiencing it. And you could, you could kind of pick up on the fact that anytime he was starting to um, be around or experience something that was for lack of a better word, triggering his PTSD he would kind of blip to another time in his life when he wasn't so stressful or so stressed out or, you know, experiencing whatever it was that, that was causing him um, to be anxious or upset. And he could just kind of go to a different place in his life. Um, so I, I really, once I, once I kind of like what Julia said, got into the flow of, oh, this is what's happening. I found it really, really interesting and engaging. And the thing that I liked about this use of time travel over some of the other stories that we've talked about is that there's not really, there, there at no point in the story is there the big, oh, we've got to go back and fix all of these things by using time travel. It was, it, it wasn't about that. Um, it was, and, and this is kind of talked about throughout the book, like it, it it's the and it's the Traumalfadorian that those are the aliens that abducted him, um, at least in his experience. And, you know, again, this is what makes it fiction. But um, it's it's their belief that they experience time all at once. So it's not in a linear format. They see all of the moments in any one one point in time. So they see a person and they see them at their birth and at their death. So death is is much less of a tragedy to, to them because even when they see a person dead, they still see them alive. 
So to me, that was more of his coping mechanism, too, with all the death that he saw and so much sorrow that he just couldn't process. It was a way for him to look at it differently and and be able to kind of function in his life because there was so much that he'd seen and experienced. Um, so I, I found it really beautiful. And it, it didn't, again, it didn't use that um, kind of plot device of, oh, let's go back and change everything or use, use time in that way. And that's, that's really not what it's about. It's, it's more about, um, you know, how he's able to move forward with his life after experiencing all of this devastation and yeah, he and always trauma as, you know, as a character, he always seemed to be very at peace because mm-hmm. yeah, essentially he knew what well, he, he knew his whole life trajectory. So Right. What what else was there to be anxious about? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Before we get too far into more elements of the story, though, let's kind of go around and talk about, you know, let's let's go around. We'll first explain, you know, which order you experience the content in and then give your ranking, your stack ranking order of least favorite to favorite. And then we'll go back around and say, like, why we think it wound up being, you know, that that order of preference. You want to go first, Meg? Sure. So I read the graphic novel and then the novel and then the movie. And that is the order for me from favorite to least favorite. So graphic novel was my favorite. Novel was second favorite. And movie was least favorite. Okay. How about you, Julia? So I did the novel, the graphic novel and the movie. And I would say probably my favorite is the novel, movie, and then the graphic novel. Interesting. Yeah, I'm really surprised by that. Yeah. So for me, I started with the movie and then read the graphic novel and then the novel. But my order of least favorite to favorite is the same as Megan's. So it was graphic novel, then novel, then movie. Wait, from least favorite to favorite or favorite to least favorite? Sorry, I did that wrong. I did it favorite to least favorite. (laughs) So least favorite to favorite was movie- then novel, then graphic novel was my favorite. Continue. So your favorite was graphic novel, right? My favorite was graphic novel. Is and that not what you said? was movie. Correct. Okay, then yes. You, Katie and I have the same feelings. Sorry, I made that way more complicated than I should have. <laughs> Vasokai. <okay. laughs> so now let's, why do we think that was, so for you, Megan, why, why did you prefer the graphic novel first and the movie least um i think and it wasn't like that i hated the movie it just i liked the graphic novel because i feel like it was a great precursor to the the novel um it helped me understand the novel a lot better because just like julia said the novel feels very much like something you would read in high school um or college even i don't think that this is not a novel i would read with my seventh graders um (laughs) But the graphic novel, I thought, did a great job of... I definitely was able to see the humor more so in the graphic novel because you could see um, some of the physical comedy that you couldn't necessarily see in the novel, like just how goofy Billy Pilgrim is and how he's kind of like a Charlie Brown character, right? Um, so that that was why I liked the graphic novel the most. And then... Probably the reason why the movie is at the bottom for me is I'm just so bummed they didn't at least try to do some type of 
visual of the Tralfamadorians. Like, the, mm. there was no... And I know the movie was made in, what, the 70s? So yeah. I'm sure whatever they would have done would have been horrible by today's <laughs> standard. But still, I was I was looking forward to seeing the cute little hands with the eyeballs in the middle of the hand. So, um, and there were some I other for- things about the movie that annoyed me too. But I yeah. forget were they described like what they looked like in the novel? Yeah, mm-hmm. the, and what they were depicted as in the graphic novel. I mean, granted, I read the graphic novel first, but the, all of the descriptions in the novel very much matched what I saw in the graphic novel. Yeah, same. I, I I observed that as well. So how about you, Julia? What do you think some of the reasoning behind where all of the where they all landed in, in rank order for you? Like Megan said, I, I did enjoy seeing the Trial Famadorians being represented visually. For whatever reason, I found the graphic novel harder to follow than the novel. Interesting. I'm not yeah, sure why. Like I said before, I didn't really, like, the humor of the story did not come across in either the graphic novel or the novel for me, but I definitely felt the humor a lot more in the movie. I liked the movie a lot more than I thought I was going to. Me too. But I I also found that, like, in the movie, the Trial Famadorians didn't play as big a role, and neither did death like death is like a huge thing in the novel and the graphic novel so much so that every time death is mentioned like they say so it goes so it goes mm-hmm. um because it's unavoidable so it goes and that was not that was not part of the movie which i was a little surprised yeah. about and am i wrong did the movie end differently i don't remember I kind of like the way I consumed it was there there was like breaks in between each part so I'm not an expert on anyone but I felt like the movie ended differently like I wasn't mad about it but felt like it was different I could be wrong it didn't end with like him and Montana with the baby in the in the on trail Famador or did it end with in the lecture hall think in the lecture hall that's right yeah so basically what what happens in the story after so what julie is referring to and what happens in the story is that after billy pilgrim gets abducted by the aliens and learns their perception of time and understands it and kind of adopts it in his own life he starts to speak out about it and he becomes kind of a lecturer about this this philosophy or theory or however you want to talk about it and the movie ends and this is towards the end of of both the book and the the graphic novel as well um but i don't know if it's the the very final scene in each but he is giving a lecture to you know a a full lecture hall and he basically explains at the beginning of the the speech that he's going to be shot and killed that night, which he's always known because he experiences time the way Tralfamadorians do. Cause so he sees his whole life at once. So he already knew it was going to happen. Um, and, and then at the very end of his speech, that's exactly what happens. One of the, one of his, um, acquaintances, or I guess you could call him kind of a, a rival from, uh, wartime 
who had always told him he was the guy was kind of a psychopath um said that he was going to come back and kill him when he least expected it was in the lecture hall and he shoots him um yeah yeah if that's how the movie ends then that's definitely a different ending from the novel and the graphic novel because the novel and the graphic novel both end with pooty wheat yes pooty wheat pooty wheat which is supposed to be the sound of a bird so that's and that's the point where basically the the war ends and he's kind of in his um what he what he experiences as his or he says is his happiest memory once he's he knows the war's over and he's he has a feeling of being safe which is kind of a more it's it's a more uplifting um conclusion uh, that wasn't quite how i interpreted that particular so at the moment when the bird you know says his pooty wheat um is when isn't it right when they're coming out of the slaughterhouse and they're seeing all of the destruction and everything is calm and like they have that realization that they are not supposed to be alive like mm-hmm. they're it, the fact that it's very ironic that they survived by staying in a slaughterhouse right right um and when they come out the only noise there is because there are no other people. The only noise there is, is that bird that says pooty wheat. And I, I don't know how to get to my point here, but <laughs> just that life goes on. So it goes. So, so it goes. goes. Yeah. I think we're all struggling with trying to remember how this ends because of the fact that the story is so nonlinear and we experienced it three different ways. So yeah. I could tell you a bunch of different moments in the story, but I, there's not a, in my, my, in my own brain after experiencing it three times, there's not a clear, this is where it starts. This is where it ends. I find that super interesting, but others might find it frustrating. I don't know. No, this definitely seems like the kind of book that you would pick up for yourself, Kate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and I didn't know what it was about either when I recommended it. The reason I, I thought it would be interesting was just because I knew there were three different versions of the story. It's a very well-known story that some of our listeners may have already read themselves. So it might be interesting to hear a discussion about. And it was also the the podcast I talked about earlier, Talking Comics, raved about the graphic novel. So I really wanted to read it. And I don't know if you noticed this, Julia, but the writer of the graphic novel is Ryan North, who also writes Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, who is my boo. I love her. Um, and he also, he's, he's written a lot of different things. So I, I was just really excited to read that. And I thought it would be an interesting thing to, to try to experiment on. Um, the graphic novel, I feel like was such a concise, but very true and authentic adaptation of the story. I, I feel I agree. like yeah. it, it captured all of the elements, um, like down to the description of, you know, what would happen when he would start to time trip. He would, in the book, it talks about he would see this like kind of a purple haze and there will be like in the in the graphic novel, there's also, there'll be a panel that separates like, okay, he's in this moment and then there's a purple like hazy, fuzzy panel that then indicates, okay, he's he's going to a different time right now. And then it, it gives you those, those visual cues. Um, but it, it very much felt like the the writer Ryan North has a great respect for this story because he, he treated it with, you know, such care and, and was very true to the source material, which I, I think was, um, 
you know, it was really great that he, you know, he, he put his own style on it in the way that he laid it out, but he, he kept it very, very true to the original source material. But yeah, so I, it just really stood out to me. I, I, I did it again in the, the order of movie, then graphic novel, then novel. So kind of like the shortest time commitment to the longest time commitment. Um, and I will say, even though I put the movie at the bottom, I think I liked it a lot more than I would have if I hadn't watched it first. So it was my, my first time experiencing the story was, was watching the movie. And before I even watched the movie, I watched the trailer to the movie and I have written in my notes, the trailer is either very badly edited or this movie is going to be an acid trip because like, (laughs) and after having seen the movie and knowing the story now the the trailer makes a whole lot more sense because it just like jumps around and it's super random and it doesn't make any sense. Um, but it, it was kind of an interesting way to to experience it, to experience it. And I, I kind of look back on the movie and actually appreciate it a little bit more than I did in the moment because it, it is it's an older movie. You know, there's there it there there's not a lot in the way of um, special effects. So some of that you know, doesn't look as modern or, or contemporary or believable. Um, but one of the things that bothered me while I was watching the movie was how just like deadpan and like stone, like the actor was that played Billy Pilgrim and all the, but all the other actors around him seemed like talented and like animated. And I, you know, I, I was like, why why did they cast this guy as the lead? I thought lead? he did he, a good job. Well, now that I know like yeah. that that's what he that was that's the character. And and yeah. looking back on it, oh, I Oh, totally yeah, I think, guess you're you're saying like because you didn't yeah. know any of the story yet. Okay. Exactly. So, I, I'm I'm totally listening. <laughs> right. <laughs> Thanks, Julia. <laughs> um so yeah, he on on first watch and and I've only watched it the one time, but it, he seemed I was like why did they why did they cast this dope like but it, it, that's totally the character of Billy Pilgrim he's just he's very like you said Julia I, I hadn't interpreted it this way before but he's very at peace and and very kind of unflappable like nothing gets him super excited or super sad he's just kind of because he's he's already knows his whole life like he he kind of doesn't react to stuff very very strongly so can we talk about stuff in the movie that bugged us? Sure. Okay. Um, so two big things that bugged me in the movie. First, after, obviously, the movie was the last thing I read. So I was, there's no way to watch a movie after reading a book without comparing it while you're watching, right? There is no way. Um, so the the first thing that really upset me throughout was that they turned... Billy Pilgrim's wife into kind of a running joke in the movie and I think that was the a way to get in some obvious humor but she was an overweight woman and she every time Billy Pilgrim would do something nice for her in the movie she would say okay I'm gonna lose weight for you now I'm gonna lose weight for you now but in the book this is like one of the Billy Pilgrim as a character is just very he's the same throughout everything. Right. And there's nothing that's particularly wonderful about him. There's nothing that's particularly terrible about him. He's just kind of in the middle. Right. The one moment in the novel that I really felt like, Oh, that's really sweet 
was right after he marries her and she says that she's now that they're married she's going to lose weight for for him he thinks about how you know he knows his whole life and he's seen their marriage and she makes him happy so he tells her no you don't need to do that and that's the end of it in the book but in the movie it keeps coming back yeah is that not the end of it in the book well no no it was a little bit different in the book the way he said it because that actually also bugged me in the book because he he didn't say like yes he 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 kind of looked at their marriage because he could see it all in the moment he could see exactly what the experience was and he didn't say she made him happy he said it was mostly bearable oh I didn't remember (laughs) that being the particular phrasing but at the same time still he was like no you don't need to do that right right yeah no as in the movie yeah that yeah. he he liked her exactly how she was. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, but in the movie, he's just kind of like, okay, like, yeah, yeah sure, whatever you want. Yeah, yeah, I, um, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the other thing that annoyed me in the movie was um, there's a couple times when he tries to change what he knows is going to happen in the movie. Which, mm-hmm. if you're following the whole philosophy of the Tralfamadorians, which is we know everything that's going to happen, but that's just what's going to happen. There is no reason to try to change anything. Like they say the world is going to end because one of the Tralfamadorians accidentally pushes the red button. And they know the moment in time when that Tralfamadorian is going to push the red button that blows up the universe. And Billy Pilgrim asks, well, why can't you stop that from happening? And they say that's just what happens. There is no stopping it. Um, but in the movie... There's a scene where he gets on a plane that he knows is going to crash. But then after the plane takes off in the movie, he tries to convince it or he before maybe before it takes off, he tries to convince everybody to get off because it's going to crash, which is the complete opposite of what happens in the book or the graphic novel and doesn't follow his whole. I see my whole life. I know what's going to happen. There's no changing it. Um, And I felt like they were kind of trying to turn him into a hero. And I mean, Billy Pilgrim is hero is not a word you would use to describe Billy Pilgrim, right? He's not an anti-hero, but he's definitely not a hero either. Um, So those are the, the two things in the movie that really peeved me. That's a valid rant. Thank you. (laughs) I I would I would agree with you. I I again I watched it first, so I I kind of used that as just kind of a, a gateway into the story. And I think getting to see like this is what it's about. This kind of it kind of oriented me to the other formats. And I I I think that's that's kind of the purpose it served. But if I had been if I had watched it at the end, so like I said, I I think watching it first made me watch it, made me appreciate it more than I would have if I'd watched it after reading it. I think the the same things would have stood out to me and would have really bothered me. I'll also say what I really liked about the movie was I thought it was fantastically edited. The way that they jumped from mm-hmm. different points in his life and they had those transitions that just completely made sense to take them from one scene to another. I can't think of an example off the top of my head, but I thought it was very well edited. All right. So why don't we wrap up our discussion by going around and, and giving our, our final thoughts around what it was we took away from this story? What are some of the things that 
stood out to us? Uh, do we think there was a message, a moral, um, anything that you you kind of want to share as far as you know what what you walk away with and what from this story is going to stay with you? Would you like to go first, Megan? Sure. Um, so I have a couple things that I wanted to touch on, and I'm just kind of glancing back through my notes. Um, and this, I think, is the first World War II story that I've ever read that didn't clearly villainize the Nazis. Um, it also didn't clearly turn the Americans into heroes. So there wasn't a clear, this side is good, this side is bad. And I think that's important because um, I think for both the graphic novel and the novel, they both start off with Kurt Vonnegut having a conversation with a friend's wife who doesn't want him to write this story because he she doesn't want him to glorify war. And I think he definitely did not glorify war within this story. Um, and then I think, like, for me, the, my overall takeaway, um, something the Tralfamadorians say uh, when Billy Pilgrim is talking to them at some point, um, he says, well, why don't you guys use your free will to change, make a change into how the, the universe is going to end? And they say, we've studied hundreds of different planets and Earth is the only planet that worries about this free will. And I think that's interesting that Earth is the only planet that has free will, but typically... I mean, at least in this story, that free will is used to go to war and to kill people. So, yeah, my overall takeaway, again, is just use your free will to do good. So just kind of my takeaway, and I think I talked about it a little before, just that um, can't do anything to change what's going to happen to you. So you just kind of have to go with the flow. So it goes. See, I kind of, Chris read the, my fiance Chris read the graphic novel too. And I asked him what his takeaway was. And he said something very similar. And he said just to basically focus on the positive things and not worry about the negative things. And that's kind of like, but if you don't have the power to change what happens to you, then who, who does? Like if we don't have the power to make changes in the world, then who does? So I think that it was kind of like an understatement that that message that just focus on the positive things in life, which if you don't think about the negative things, then nothing, you're not going to make a change. Um, I don't know. That's kind of what I, I took away. Yeah, I this think it all I'm not a teacher. <laughs> Sorry. I think it all depends on the context in which you're looking at it, because if you're looking at it from the standpoint of a World War II veteran who is trying to move forward with his life and function and can't change what has happened in the past. The message is more like, don't fixate on all of the trauma and all of the things that happened to you. You know, you need to process it, obviously, but you need to really hold on to the positive things in your life. Otherwise, you're going to drown with sorrow. Um, so I, I think from that standpoint, that that takeaway is absolutely valid and it's it, and it's important to everyone because everyone has you know varying degrees of trauma and and sadness that they've experienced in their life but if we live there it it'll compound and it'll you know you you won't be able to to do what you're saying Megan as far as using your free will to do good because if you're living in the dark space you're not going to find that free will and that um, that drive within yourself to make that change and to 
you know, be the cliche, be the change that you want to see um, in the world. So I, I think I think both are both can can stand together and and don't have to be, you know, competing viewpoints or takeaways. I think both can be taken away from the story. I agree. I I will echo a couple of the things that have already been said, and I think that for me the the overall message and theme around it that I I really experienced and and appreciated about the story was from from my standpoint it seemed like I was getting a glimpse into what someone trying to grapple with with trauma might 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 do in a, a way that they might um, experience their life and I, I think it helps me to have more empathy for for people that may have gone through some really difficult things. Um, and, and maybe in a moment that, that they're very stressed, they, they may not be able to focus on that moment and they, they might not be as productive or functional or positive or, um, you know, able to, to, um, to socialize in that moment if it's, if it's a very difficult one for them. So I I think it, it gives me more empathy. Um, and, the other the other thing that really has stuck with me is the same sequence that you talked about, Megan, where he was experiencing the World War II movie. But he, he the way the the story described it was that he was um, he didn't become fully unstuck in time, just a little unstuck in time, to where he was still in that moment. He was just experiencing that moment in reverse. So the way that I took that as he was he was watching all of the bombs come up from the ground and go back up into the airplanes. It was all very beautifully described. It, it went all the way from the the explosion and the attack to um, backwards to the actual uh, building of the bombs. And it was, you know, the way the way it was read and the way it was described was almost like someone had fixed all of these things. And it, it was almost like that was what he wanted in his heart. So he experienced it that way. So he saw he saw it the way he wanted to see it. And it was like everything was get, getting um, erased or reversed or, you know, just put back together. Um, and I thought that was really beautifully written. And that's that's the point in the book that has really, really stayed with me after reading it. Did we enjoy this this experience? Yes, I'm glad that I took part in this experience for sure because it's not a book that I would have picked up and I am I enjoyed this conversation thank you thank you for staying positive (laughs) I know it wasn't your favorite it's it's heavy material it's just heavy heavy yeah yeah it's very heavy yeah yeah thank you for thank you for suggesting it Katie it's probably not one I am not sure who I would recommend this to in the library but there will come a time when I may need to so I'll at least have some knowledge about it I mean if you were an adult librarian more likely you'd come across a patron you're not going to recommend this to a child for sure I'm envisioning like an older gentleman that likes war war stories I feel like this movie would be right up Joey Costello's alley. Oh, well, we know he has. He went and saw this movie with our father in the theaters. Oh, I I didn't didn't know know that. that. All right. So let's talk a little bit about what we've been reading and what we're planning to read. Megan, want to go first? Sure. So I'm going to keep this um, short and not really talk about 
any specific books, but I know I'm late to the party here. If you have not heard of the Libby app, uh, go download it, it because it's amazing. And I know I'm not huge on audiobooks, but the Libby app, I've I downloaded it a couple weeks ago and I've already listened to two audiobooks. Um, so definitely check that out. If you don't have a library card, you don't need a library card to use it. Uh, it's it's awesome. Libby, L-I-B-B-Y. Is it similar to Audible except it's free? Yes. Sorry. It is free. <laughs> it's free. You can get audiobooks and ebooks through it, and it's super user-friendly, um, and it, it again, it's free. And if you you can access multiple library systems throughout it. So like I right now have it signed up for Solano County and Contra Costa County because those are the two library cards that I have. But I would imagine I could probably add in even more if I wanted to. Yeah, you could probably however many library cards you have as long as they have a digital collection with OverDrive. Yeah, you'll be able to access it. Yeah. So that's where I've been broadening my horizons in regards to listening to ebook uh, audiobooks so yeah I was I was glad to see that you downloaded that because it was always very interesting to watch you um browse in the physical library because you don't go in with any kind of idea you just go to a section and like hmm hmm this looks good and it's never anything you've ever heard of <laughs> yeah you just I, I happen choose, upon books that way. Yep. Based on what the book looks like, I judge books by their covers. <laughs> yeah. So that's where I'm getting my books currently. Julia? All right. Um, so recently I have read three books that I found enjoyable. Um, I read the newest Newbery Award winner, When You Trap a Tiger by Tay Keller, and I loved it. Um, It's kind of fantasy, but it's also got, like, folklore, and it's about family, and I highly recommend it. Um, I listened to the first Aurora Tea Garden book by Charlene Harris. It's called Real Murders because I was intrigued by the Hallmark movies and mysteries movies starring Candace Cameron Bure. So I wanted to see what the books were about. And the main character is a librarian. Yes. Um, So that was fun. And I listened to it in the Libby app. And then I read an adult graphic novel called um, My Brother's Brother's Husband. Um, And that is uh an anime type book so it you read it backward to forward which is always takes me a second to wrap my brain around but i really enjoyed it it's a really cute story um yeah so go find it if you can find it all right mine is going to be pretty quick too because i haven't read much outside of what we prepared for for this episode uh the graphic novel and novel of slaughterhouse five and I, so I'll talk about a couple things I plan on reading. And actually, as a result of doing this exercise, I found that the writer who did the graphic novel, Ryan North, who also, as I stated before, did, does, um, is the writer for the Unbeatable Squirrel Girl graphic novels. 
Um, he also wrote a book that my husband has that was gifted to him by his father, so my father-in-law, called How to Invent Everything, A Survival Guide for the Stranded Time Traveler. And that sounds really interesting to me. So I, I think I'm going to dip my toe into that and maybe talk about it on a future episode if I'm enjoying it. Well, thank you both. I, I know it wasn't maybe a book that we would have picked up. I really enjoyed it. And thank you both for humoring me on it. Yeah, thanks for picking it out. All sure. right. Well, thank you for joining us in this discussion. And join us n- next month in another discussion about little free libraries. So until next time, let's read, share, and repeat. Bye. Bye. That brings us to a close on this chapter of Sibling Library. Thank you for listening. Until next time, let's read, share, and repeat.